This episode is brought to you by Bellingholm School of Music, giving musicians of all ages the opportunity to learn, perform, and excel in their musical endeavors. Bellingholm School of Music offers music lessons, performance opportunities, and professional rehearsal spaces with integrated recording studio technology. They have an incredible roster of 23 talented and engaging teachers and state-of-the-art facilities to serve the Whatcom County region. Stop in or visit bellinghomeschoolofmusic.com today to schedule a free introductory lesson, inquire about rehearsal space rentals, or book a recording session. Bellingholm School of Music. Welcome home. Hey, just so you know, there's a couple times in the podcast where you might hear uh, some swearing. Just so you know. Welcome to Little City Big Sound. I'm your host, David Pender Lofgren. I want to start off this episode by thanking all of the bands and musicians that have been sending us their press releases and reaching out to keep us up to date about their projects. I'm going to try and be better about responding to each of these, but in the meantime, keep sending us your stuff. If you're a musician or a member of the music community, please let us know what you're up to. As Carrie Ross said in last month's episode, That's always helpful. If bands want to tell me what they're doing, do not assume that I know. Tell me. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. (laughs) It's true. This is a two-way street. It can be hard to keep tabs on the music community, so keep us in the loop. Head to our website and click on the contact tab, fill out the form, and let us know what you're up to. Got a show coming up? You're about to drop a new track? Maybe you're a fan of local music and you want to hear from your favorite local musician. Hit us up, drop us a line, help us get hip to your corner of the scene. For instance, Bellingham-based electro R&B duo Lonely Together just sent me a press release for their debut EP entitled Never Lost. The tracks are super well produced, the vocals are smart and smooth, I'm really impressed. Uh, Here, give a listen to their first single, Go to Sleep written and recorded after Zach and Rosie both woke up in the middle of the night and decided, well, if we can't sleep, we might as well be productive. album is like this, perfect for a late night drive. You can find Lonely Together's debut EP, Never Lost, at LonelyTogetherMusic.com. All right, this month's guest hit the Bellingham music scene in a big way when her band Baby Cakes was born out of a spontaneous New Year's Eve show up at uh, Chair 9 in Glacier. Stephanie Walbon has been writing songs, singing, and performing for most of her life. And if you've ever seen Baby Cakes live, it's fairly obvious she feels at home on a stage with a microphone in her hand. Stephanie grew up in the Midwest and paid her dues singing in a cover band all around the Great Lakes region, but she fell in love with the Pacific Northwest after a hike up to the top of Oyster Dome while visiting her brother and has lived here ever since. She's now settled in Maple Falls, where she and her partner Jordan are busily raising their seven-month-old son, and somehow Stephanie has found the time and energy to play in not one, but two Bellingham supergroups, splitting her time between Baby Cakes 
and Tom Petty tribute band, Petty or Not. I am incredibly grateful that Stephanie was willing to give a few precious hours to share her story with us. Here's our conversation. Stephanie Walbon, welcome. Thank you. Why don't we just start, can you just tell me like where you're from? I am from Egan, Minnesota. That's where I grew up until um, I was about 22, 23, I can't remember. And then I moved in out to Washington and pretty much your typical Midwestern suburban childhood. It was pretty ideal in the 90s over there. So Egan is a uh, suburb of the Twin Cities, right? Correct. Did you spend a bunch of time like going into the city? Like, do you think of yourself as a city kid? No, or? no. The suburbs are pretty separate from the Twin Cities as far as my experience goes. I mean, I'm sure other people have different ones. I mean, we went into the city for when I was a kid, barely at all. And we went in, we did some, when I say we, I have two um, two brothers and three stepbrothers. And I have two brothers that we all did modeling and stuff. What do you mean? <laughs> Print work. My brothers did commercials. I don't. I think I did one. I was like, it was an insurance commercial and I was doing cartwheels in the background of some street or something. I don't know. It wasn't like the main focus, but so we did like print work, like Target. I did some Target stuff. Um, a clown wig ad was one of my gems, I guess. And then a couple other things, but yeah, we just did some modeling. So we'd go for auditions and stuff like that. And then when I got older, um, in high school, we would go to Uptown, which is like the cool place to be in Minneapolis. And I'd go to like the cool coffee shop and the cool shops and pretend I could buy things, but I couldn't. <laughs> Whose idea was it to do the modeling? Like, how did you guys get into that? Probably my mom. I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. My mom has a really good talent for like seeing what people are good at. Like she put us in all sorts of different situations um, when we were kids and like sports and um, theater and the modeling stuff and kind of just see what we see what we took to. So I think she just kind of like put us in different things and saw what what worked and I guess we were pretty cute for a while. I don't know. My my baby teeth fell out, my permanent teeth came in and the clown wig ad which you've seen and we'll post somewhere. My teeth were real weird for <laughs> quite a while. Do you remember what it was like being a kid? Like showing up on set and Standing in front of a camera, taking direction. You know, I, I don't think I, I don't remember much about it. I don't think I was that good at it, to be honest. Like I think I, I don't know if the word shy is the right word, but like maybe kind of like hesitant in certain scenarios. Like I don't think I took direction very well. That was probably a pain in the ass. But I don't remember that much. I did a lot of theater though too, which I think I did better at as far as taking direction is concerned. Hopefully, anyway. It seems like if you're exposed to being in front of a camera at a young age, like that can be, it can have some weird effects on you. Like, do you think there was some sense for you or your brothers of like being self-conscious or realizing like, oh, I have to look a certain way or act a certain way in front of a camera? You know, I don't think that specifically had an effect on me. I just think that my teeth got weird. And so there was like, my mom's like, nee, not much we can do with your teeth all funny. And then I had a lot of orthodontic work done and that continued into my early 20s. So it was a long road that way. As a singer, having like braces or an expander or something like that messes with the shape of your mouth, right? Did that, was that something that like growing yeah. up was impacted you as you were learning to sing? 
I think it did. I mean, I started performing when I was like six-ish, I think. And I didn't get braces until I was like eight or nine. And then again when I was 15. Yeah, 15 or 16. So somewhere in there. And um, I'm sure it affected me. I mean, I have an overbite. I still do. That's why the braces were all kind of a funky situation. But I think I just adapted. I don't know. I think when I watch myself talk, I'm like, wow, your mouth moves funny. But <laughs> well, look, what can you do? When you watch yourself talk. That's why we do radio here. I exactly. To, I never have to watch myself talk. Perfect. Um, tell me more about growing up. You were a gymnast at a really young age, right? Yeah. Um, I think I was in and out of the gym. Like my mom, basically we were just jumping around, flipping around the house and things like that when we were real small. My brothers and I are all pretty close in age and – She's like, well, why don't we just put you somewhere safe to do th- to do these things? And so we did that, and so we were in the gym off and on for a while. And then I think by the time I was eight, I was on competitive team, and I did that for a couple of years. And then I quit and did high school gymnastics. Um, we did some other sports too, but that was definitely the one that took. So it was like gymnastics and theater for me were my main outlets. So if you're doing theater and gymnastics from a young age, like you've been – on a stage for a lot of your life. Like, does that feel like a really comfortable place for you to be? Um, yes and no. Uh, I think when I'm actually singing, it's, I don't think twice about it. It's just kind of like, here I am doing the thing that I like to do, and it's fun, and it feels good, and all that. But when I'm not singing, like, if I'm singing backup for a song or a group or if I'm standing there because I don't do anything on that song or uh, trying to banter (laughs) on stage. Like trying to talk to the audience? Yeah. Um, Jeremiah, our trumpet player, has recorded many of our shows with Baby Cakes and he would come back after listening to it and just tell me some awesome thing that I said and Please sense my sarcasm there because I just say really dumb shit. Yeah, I don't know. So that's when I'm like, me, I don't really, I'm a dork. I don't know what to do with myself and get all goofy and weird. But so, yeah, it's like super comfortable while I'm singing. When I'm not, I don't know what to do with myself. And theater was kind of a similar scenario. And I don't know. I think my stage presence was really terrible when I was little. I had many comments on that, like, I think I did a like a solo and ensemble contest once, and they said, we can hear the emotion in your voice, but you have nothing going on in your face. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so I had to work on that a lot. But You were writing songs as a kid too, right? Yeah. I remember distinctly sitting in this tree that I loved to climb with my friend, and I would sit in that tree and I'd like write stupid songs that made no sense. And The pine tree. I think I only did that once or twice because I got full of sap. And so I remember being like, this seemed like a good idea, but now that I'm in here, it's rather cramped and sappy, so (laughs) I should move. Yeah, so I wrote lyrics a lot. Um, I wrote a lot of poems when I was in high school because, you know, high school love makes you do silly things. And then as I got older, I started writing more melodies with lyrics, and I don't know, there's a lot of different ways to write, but yeah, I've been writing for a super long time. My uncle gave me a four-track, I think it was tape, it must have been tape, four-track cassette tape recorder back in the day, 
And I played with that for quite a while in my room and wrote some stuff and sang harmonies to myself. And that was fun. I didn't really know what I was doing at all, but it was fun to mess around with it, I guess. So a four track, that's like the uh, old school version of how you can record yourself and then like rec- listen to that recording and record over yourself. And I think so. So all of a sudden you become like a whole Four vocal means. section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is fun. Harmonizing is always super fun. Love that. Is that stuff that you learned? Like were you taking vocal lessons or did you just sort of sit down and see what sounded good? Well, I took, I took lessons from the time I was about seven until I was in 18, 19. I had the same voice teacher, John Lynn, who I loved and part of the family back then. And What did you love about him? Oh, he was just one of the kindest, warmest people and just super enthusiastic to show me new music, let me sing what I want, help me improve, at, you know, at some point. When you're when you know somebody that well and you're with them, you know I had a an hour lesson every week or whatever. A good chunk of that time, we just like talked about my life. Like he was almost like a little um, uh, counselor in a in a way too, and helped me work through stuff. And we actually wrote a lot of songs together as well because I don't play an instrument very well. I can play keys sort of and guitar sort of, but not super well, especially not then. Um, and so he helped me write a lot of songs, which was really fun. Um, as far as like harmonies and stuff go, I think, I think it came pretty naturally, but also when you have somebody to sing with, we would just sing harmonies together. And he, um, often had, he had a lot of students. And so we'd have different types of groups that we could be in or, um, opportunities like, you know, we sang all sorts of songs like Rock and Robin and there was just like, you know, choreography and different parts and all that. And. I sang in different choirs, and so you just kind of get an ear for it after a while, I think. Yeah, just like you have, I think people that are musicians or have an ear for music in that way, like you get a good bit by osmosis by just being around it, and then some of it's just a natural part of that. It's hard. And chicken or the egg, which came first? Who knows? Do you feel, I mean, if you were doing voice lessons and at a young age you were doing the modeling stuff, was there a, a push from your parents to like, we want you to be a performer. Like we want you to um, be doing this thing. Or is that just what you nat- naturally gravitated towards? I or? think, I don't think there was a push. There was a lot of support still. My parents are super supportive. I'm very lucky that way. But they're, yeah, they were just really supportive. And obviously my mom just like, hey, you are singing in one key and you're a small child. And that means you probably have a pretty good ear for music and, Honestly, both my parents can carry a tune pretty well. I don't know that they would say that, but I'll tell you that because I've heard them sing and they can't. So um, I think that she just noticed it. And then, you know, like I said, she gave us opportunities to try stuff and I just took to it. I really loved to sing. I liked to perform, but I would often hide behind my mom after I performed, like when I was small, probably till I was too old, to be honest. I like would hide in her skirt. People would say, hey, good job. And I would hide. And she hated that. <laughs> She's like, just say thank you. But for some reason, that was very uncomfortable for me. I didn't want them to know it was me. Like, can I just sing and leave? It's kind of similar to now, too, actually. I was going to ask, like, does that <laughs> translate? I mean, being a performer on stage, being a singer is one thing. Showing up at the club and, like, talking to the club owner and then dealing with the folks who want to come up and talk to you afterwards, trying to sell merch, like, that's... 
such mm-hmm. different skill sets. Is that oh, hugely different. Is that something you struggle with or something you found some way of dealing with? It totally depends, and it depends on, the like, my mood sometimes. Like, because there are times I go out and I feel pretty social, and other times I'm pretty spent and just, like, done. I'm, I would kind of consider myself more an introvert, and so, like, if I'm around a lot of people a lot, I tend to get pretty worn out and I need to go be alone. But I really, like... Being on the stage singing and getting to interact with the audience the way that we do when we're up there and, like, you know, you play off each other's energy and there's just that weird magical thing that happens when you're sharing that cool experience. But that is so fun. And the talking, I'm not good at small talk. Like, that's not my thing. I don't know. I, I always get all like, ah, what do I, what do I say? Thank, thank you. And then, uh, yeah, it depends. Like some people are super easy to talk to and they'll just say, hey, that was was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And then they'll have like a follow-up question where they'll just kind of chat with you. And then there's other people that just say, hey, that was really great. And then they stare at you and you're like, thank you. And then they just keep staring at you and you don't know what to do with that. And I don't ever want to seem ungrateful because I'm so like to have people come see your band and like have a good time and then go out of their way to tell you thank like thank you that was fun and you did great like that's really sweet that's really cool that somebody would do that but like when you just stare at me i don't really know what to do with myself and i get all awkward so that's kind of weird but i guess you just kind of you just kind of roll with it and luckily in baby cakes we have kevin everyone knows kev so he just does the he does all the stuff i'm not great at and i'm so grateful for that <laughs> And that's a big reason why our band has done uh, as well as it has in the way that it has, because he's really good at talking to people and getting gigs and doing all that stuff and being an awesome band leader that way. So very happy for that. I'm still not good at selling merch. I forget to say it on stage, and then I feel like a butthead. Yep, butthead. I said it. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, <laughs> um I want to get to a bunch of the baby cake stuff, but before we do, uh, can you tell me about like when you first started performing with a band, like outside of the musical theater, and um, when did you first start actually going on a stage, like practicing with a band and going out on a stage? Or yeah, well, it's kind of come in a, in different phases, and I totally forgot about this until like just now. But when I was, I want to say sixteen, seventeen, I. I had recorded a couple of songs for, like, a little demo thing um, when I was, like, 15. And I had, man, it was such a weird little thing. I don't even remember it very well, but I'm pretty sure I had a drummer, a guitar player, and a bass player. And there were these kind of an odd group of dudes. I don't even remember their names anymore because it was a very short-lived thing. But we did something because I got, um, in Minneapolis, there's this place called First Ave., It's very famous. Prince was there and all this stuff. And they have this little back bar called the 7th Street Entry. And I got to play there. And I think I got two songs. And I think I was 16 or 17. So I had to, like, wait outside and then go in and then leave. Um, Because you couldn't be in the bar. Correct. Yeah, underage. I was not even 18. So super illegal for me to be in there unless I'm on the stage. And I don't remember a whole lot about it except that it was kind of weird and it was on a Tuesday night. And that's – so that was one of my experiences, like – And we had, I think, worked out songs that I had kind of just made up as far as lyrically and melodically in my head. And so to translate that sometimes from from that into a band playing it is 
weird and not because you're not writing like hey play these chords or yeah, something I, you're just had, saying yeah i'm gonna sing a song at you and can you write around this? And so they did, and they were super nice to me about it. Like they were probably in their mid twenties or something like that, and being very nice to this little sixteen-year-old naive girl who didn't know what she was talking about when it comes to music. But so that was cool. And then um, after high school, I joined a cover band in the Minneapolis area called Amour. Yeah, classic rock. And that was really fun. That was through um, my uncle's also a drummer, and he had played with this band called Power of Ten in Minneapolis. And um, the guy that ran that whole thing was kind of starting a separate, uh, like a you know, to manage and book a cover band. And so he wanted to support this group of younger guys, and they were, I think they were in their early twenties, and I was mm, just turning nineteen. And so I sang with that band for three years, and we were playing like every weekend for three years. It was pretty, pretty solid three years of singing the same songs. And so then you're—that's a cover band specifically, like you guys are doing yes. what classic rock or? Yeah, I mean it was what man? What were some of the, some of the songs I never ever want to sing again? Um, Hit me with your best shot. Don't ever want to sing that again. Walking on sunshine. Don't want to sing that again. But we also did really cool stuff like um, Dream On and we did Zeppelin and it was it was a pretty big range. We did Beatles and just a bunch of different random stuff from like mostly 60s, 70s, 80s, occasional 90s and and uh, 2000 stuff. But And what kind of gigs are you playing? Like are you playing bars or? Um, I think we did a couple of weddings, but I don't think we did that many. But yeah, we played a lot of like little resort towns and like little bars and resorts and just up north. If you're from the Midwest, you know what that means. Just up north is where everyone goes on the weekends in the summer. It was mostly just, you know, smaller bars because it's cover bands. And I think, I don't know if Bellingham is a unique situation or if Minneapolis area was, but like cover bands kind of just were like house bands for the most part and original bands played like downtown. Like we almost never played downtown. That was very, very rare. Sports bars and like stuff like that where there's like a built-in crowd, you know? Right. You're like a live jukebox. Basically. So you did that for three years? Yeah. Every weekend? Every weekend. And actually sometimes it was four four nights a week. What was that like? Like, uh, you know, you graduated from high school. You tried out for this random band, and all of a sudden, you're like a on the road traveling to every town around every little lake in mm-hmm. Minnesota. It was tiring, and I ended I ended up getting super sick like right as I joined that band. I've had kind of an interesting health journey, but I ended up with mono, and I just I ended I had this really nasty cough, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and they gave me um, a really strong antibiotic. And that pretty much just, like, knocked out my ability to digest. And I ended up with, like, food sensitivities. And, it well, it's kind of started as, like, not being able to eat without throwing up. Like, not on purpose. Like, I would eat and I just couldn't keep it down. I got really skinny and gross. And then I kind of, I went to... He was my chiropractor at the time, and he was like, oh, your intestines are super swollen. This is gross, I know, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's what was going on. And mm. then he was like, you probably should cut back on 
all of these foods, which happened to be everything that I ate. It was like wheat, dairy. I ate meat at the time, so meat. Basically, he told me I should eat vegetables, rice, and chicken. I didn't like chicken, and I didn't eat a lot of vegetables, and I definitely didn't eat a lot of rice. Yeah, so I just had, like, this nasty digestive problem trying to figure that out while we were on the road all the time, which wasn't good, and I was working otherwise also. But I got, yeah, it was it was tricky for sure, and it caused a lot of issues for um, just my ability to enjoy what we were doing because I had it was so focused on what am I going to eat, how am I going to eat, and mm. I don't know. But I was also in my early 20s, and so you're kind of invincible at that age, you know, like nothing can knock you down. You Good. could have mono for a year and no one would know because that's what I did. And I, like I said, we were booked every weekend solid, like – there was no breaks, um, and I wasn't, like, good at being like, I'm sick. I need to take some time off. I still am not good at that, but I was worse then. You know, like, I would not say no. I would totally go, and so I didn't rest, which is why it took so long, and that was dumb because it has haunted me since <laughs> in various ways. But Do you feel like you were growing as a musician during that time, like, having that much repetition of like doing the same tunes, traveling around, playing all these different places, like do you have a sense of what that did for you as a performer, as a singer? Um, I think it did a couple things. I think singing um, the same kinds of things over and over again gave me confidence in certain ways, like being able to hit certain notes and knowing my own voice really well. Like I and this is something that I don't I'm not sure if other people aside from singers can understand cuz I wouldn't know how to translate it. But there are like different kinds of hoarseness in your voice. Like some day, some days you can sing through um a hoarse voice and no one can tell and other days like your chest voice is gone. Other days that little higher mixy part of your voice is gone or your head voice is gone. There's all these different pieces and so um I would kind of cycle through like which parts of my voice were working and weren't and also at that at, <clears throat> excuse me speaking of which um at that time smoking was still allowed in the bars and so I was also just inhaling cigarette smoke all weekend long while singing which thinking back now I'm like I don't know how I did that singing like classic rock stuff like just crazy but so I got to know my voice really well which is cool um I think I got better at stage presence I would not say that I was good at it even still I remember very specifically at one of our first gigs singing with the mic on the mic stand and I'm pretty sure my drummer at some point came out and took my mic stand away. It was like, you don't get a mic stand. And I was like, what? Because I'm sure I was just like holding on to it for dear life. But um, so anyways, I got better after that and I only sometimes use mic stand depending on the song. So yeah, I think in some ways I totally grew. In other ways it was kind of maybe going through the motions, like, here I am being a musician, but really I wasn't, like, could have been using my time more to develop my own stuff, because I was always singing um, or writing and wanting to do my own original stuff. That was always the goal. But we were so busy, and I was working, and my boyfriend was in the band. He was the bass player, and so, like, that was my life. I didn't care to be anywhere else because I was singing. I was getting paid to sing. I was getting to travel around, not super awesome places necessarily. Some of them were real gross, but that's, you know, early twenties. Um, and then my boyfriend was in the band. So why would I want to be doing anything else? It was just kind of where I was, but, um, so then what happens? How do you get from there to here? So in 
March of 2008, my brother blew out his knee real bad. Um, like ACL, MCL, meniscus, and patellar all in like one sweet land, short landed snowboard jump. So he had to have surgery, obviously. And so my mom was like, why don't you go take care of your brother out in Washington? He moved here a long time ago. And my mom said, why don't you go take care of him after surgery? And so I did. I came out for a week. And first night we were, I was here. He took me up to Oyster Dome, got to see the sunset up there. That was pretty epic. And just, like, had a good time. It was really fun hanging out. Like, Bellingham's a fun town for somebody in their early 20s, you know. Like, the Kalaloo was still open. And, you know, I think it was, like, dancey fun times. I don't know. Just, I had fun. I really always wanted to live in the mountains. And so I was like, eh, I don't have a boyfriend anymore. I love my job, but I can always coach gymnastics anywhere I go. And so, sure, let's just move on out. And so I did. So you are a certified health coach. Correct. Do you feel like because you struggled with your health and like had to go through this whole process of figuring out what it meant to like be on the road, eat well, and like really pay attention to the way that your body's reacting to all of these inputs? Like, is that, you feel like that was Mm -hmm. a reason, a factor? Big time. Um, My mom also had a really big health shift um, when I was in high school. And she had gotten really sick and didn't really know why and ended up that she had she was just severely, like, vitamin B deficient in lots of ways. And so um, I watched her big health turnaround, and then I had kind of my own um, in my late teens, early 20s. And, and all of that definitely played a role in my interest because when you feel that terrible and you're like, I shouldn't feel this terrible... Um, you, well, I'm like, a, am one of those people that like, when I see a problem or I uh, feel an, an issue in my life, like I dig into it. Like, what's, what is causing this? Like, I always want to find the root cause of stuff. And so that was part of that was like, well, what could be causing all these problems for me? What's the, what's the main reason? What's the thing that started it all? What's the catalyst? And so you kind of just like reverse engineer it backwards and see where you started and like what was the thing that led to this terrible situation for my health or whatever. Mm. Um, So that, yeah, totally had an impact there. And I think I'm not sure if I would have had, if I didn't have as much um, issue with my own health, I don't know that I would have been as interested in it, but I do feel like I would have been interested, but hard to say not knowing, you know? Do you feel like um, having the work ethic that you do and sort of like having the tendency to drive so hard uh, when you're working at something, it's interesting to me that like you have this really strong drive and like, you know, have historically just like worked a ton. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, but then you took the time to sort of learn about the, to get the health coaching Mm-hmm. Um, certification and like like clearly that's important to you. Do you feel like there's a big conflict there for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my personality does not line up with some of the values I hold, I suppose. Like I do have a crazy work ethic. I don't, it's my family's fault. They're all entrepreneurs. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a weird 
drive of like, I'm not doing enough. I need to keep going. There's more I want to do. There's more I can do. You should do all that you can do and all this. I mean, some of it's healthy chatter and some of it is not. Um, but pushing yourself to the point where your body can't take it anymore, not healthy. And I definitely struggle with that and saying no to things that I want to do. Like, it's hard to get together with Miles and write as often as I would like to. Like, it just doesn't happen. Um, and I have to, especially now being a mom, like, I have to take that very seriously because I cannot show up and be a terrible mom. I can't show up and be so tired I can't take care of my baby. Like, that's not okay, obviously. So in a way that has really slowed me down in a really health healthful way, I think, to some degree. But I'm still, like, hitting my head against the ceiling of, like, hey, you should probably slow down a little. Hey, you should probably say no every once in a while. You can't do all the things. It's okay. So I'm working on that still. Mm. This episode is brought to you by Irish and Folk Mondays at Green's Corner. Every Monday, Jan Peters hosts a thriving Irish music session, followed by a stunning acoustic concert series featuring local, regional, and nationally touring artists performing a wide variety of folk and traditional music. Listeners and players alike can enjoy the great selection of food and drink available at Green's Corner, experience the age-old tradition of session playing with Bellingham's intergenerational Celtic music community, and revel in the world-class sounds of the feature performance. This month, Yon Songs Productions is proud to present Bellingham's longest-standing Cajun band, the Happy Valley Sluggers. Guitar master Tony McManus with multi-instrumentalist Julia Tosburn, the driving Quebecois fiddle music of Groupe du Jour, and more. For showtimes and more, visit yonsongsproductions.com and follow Irish and Folk Mondays on Facebook. Irish and Folk Mondays at Green's Corner. If Mondays make you blue, come to Green's. Okay, so the, uh, this is a story that's been told in several different fashions in local media. <laughs> okay. But I'm wondering if you could just tell me the baby cake's origin story. Ah, the origin story. Um, I was working up at Chair 9 in Glacier, um, and I often worked like a Sunday afternoon, and Travis Rambo would come in and play like an acoustic set for the ski for the ski bunch, you know. He just was like, you know, a local who's around a bunch. And so I knew Travis and he's like, hey, if you ever want to come sing. I sang in another cover band here prior to Baby Cakes called The Listers. And we were kind of like a, basically what I, Amora was, but here, like classic rock cover band. Anyway, so he knew me from that and from Glacier in general. And um, yeah, you want to come sing a couple songs or whatever? And I was like, sure. So I'd, you know, wait my tables and then I'd go sing a song or two. And, and then I think Travis came to play... I want to say he came to play the um, the Christmas party, and then Kevin was with him. Okay, so Kevin Christ, also known as Christo, uh, ubiquitous <laughs> the Belling- Christ, the Christ, <laughs> ubiquitous Bellingham drummer. So he was playing with Travis Rambo. Yeah, you went up and sang with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I came up and I sang "Landslide" and maybe one other song. So, yeah, so I, I sang um, the songs or whatever, and and then sometime in the next week or so, Kev called um, Chair 9 while I was working 
and said, hey, I think uh, Pete's asked me to put together a band for New Year's. Um, do you want to come sing a few songs? Are you going to be working that night? And um, I don't think I was working that night, but I did show up for the gig. And um, Michael Harris was supposed to be singing. And there was some... Of idiot pilot fame? Yes, that guy. Great singer. And he... I don't know if there was confusion or something happened where he didn't end up coming up. So you're like, it's like right before a gig for New Year's and all of a sudden. I, and I think they had actually already started playing. Like I think they had already started like just jamming. So it was Kevin, Lyman Lipke. On bass. On bass. Um, Richard Keene on keys. Jeremiah Austin on trumpet. Who am I forgetting? Was that it? Oh, guitar. Duh. <laughs> Maddie. And I never know how to say his last Matt name. Matt Van Havel? Yes, him. And so they, I mean, they can play anything and they could play forever. They'd be fine. They're all such yeah, that's good an incredible musici- group of musicians. Yeah, super good musicians. So, anyways, they had played like a short set, and they were like, "Kev's like, so sounds like he's not coming. Um, what do you got?" Yeah, and I was like, "Well, I know a lot of songs. I'd have to go look. Like, I'd have to go write a list." So, I wrote down a list, and I think pretty much most of those songs were like classic rock cover songs because that's what that's what I did sing. So they looked at the list, and at least one person knew every song on that list well enough to be like, oh, it's this, you know, the, the one, four, five, I, you know, the lingo that I don't know. And so I just watched them figure it out and was just like, holy cow. And they'd all heard these songs, of course, so they knew them well enough to pull it off. And so we just kind of like played a bunch of songs we'd never played before, and half of them had never played those songs at all, and they were just such good musicians that they could figure it out on the fly, and it was really fun. Nobody in the bar knew, because Cherry and I just likes to party, so they had a good time. Um, But yeah, so that was super fun, and then I think the following week, or maybe two weeks later, or something like that, Kev was like, hey, we got a free funk Friday at the Buffalo, you want to come down and sing a few, and Sure, and so we added a few more songs, like I think I Wish was one of them, Stevie Wonder Tune, and maybe Hold On. We just kind of did that, and then after that, Kev's like, oh, we got we got more gig offers coming in. You guys want to make this a thing? And I don't know to this day if that was his plan or if that's just the way things went. Who knows? But either way, stoked on it, and uh, yeah, we've had a, had a band going ever since and a couple different iterations of it, but... Here we are. So it almost happened as an accident. Like it's sort of... Super happy accident, yeah. That's crazy. It's still crazy to me that it... Because the band is so talented and like from the beginning, did it, I, did it strike you uh, when you started playing with them more regularly? Like, oh, this is, this is really good. This can be something like what did it just feel like pickup gigs one after another or was it like ah, I want to do more of this I definitely wanted to do more because I hadn't really gotten to sing that type of music before like I hadn't like when in the classic rock cover bands like we dabbled with pop here and there but it was mostly like classic rock and rock genre stuff which is super fun to sing like I still really love singing heart and like still some of my favorite but you know that people don't want to dance to classic rock quite the same way or as much as they want to dance to like funk, soul, dancey, Aretha Franklin, you know, like Stevie Wonder, like that stuff is so fun to dance to out at a club. And if you have a band that can play it well, which 
is a tricky thing to do with a lot of that music. Um, so I was like, heck yeah, this is awesome. I've always wanted to sing this kind of music. I've never really had an opportunity to do it. And so I was like, yeah, let's just keep it rolling. And I hadn't been singing in a band for a little while. And so I had missed, I missed singing. Mm. And so I was like, and all those, they're just so fun to sing <laughs> those songs. Like, yeah, it's a totally different experience than the classic rock cover band. So you guys really quickly became like a very serious working band. Mm -hmm. By that I mean you were playing a lot. many, many, many gigs mm -hmm. weekend after weekend. It's like almost like you were back in yeah. Amor. Close. Not um, quite, but close. Yeah. And more fun. And I get paid better, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Did it? W was there a piece of you that thought like, oh, God, here we go again. Like now I'm on the road a ton. No. Gigging out here is, like, different. Like, it was a lot of different places in Bellingham, and we got a lot of private parties, and, like, I was in a totally different place of my life. I'm, like, in my mid-20s, mid-late 20s at that point, and, like, they're all such cool people, too, like, really fun people to be around. Um, so I just really enjoyed their company. I had fun watching them play their instruments and being in awe of, like, holy cow, these guys are so good. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand... Um, people that play instruments in a lot of ways because I don't play one well enough. But, like, your minds must work in such a different way. It's just, like, super impressive. And so watching them was always super fun to me. You started as a, a cover band, but eventually started weaving originals into the set. How did you decide to start writing? Like, were you writing as a group? Were you bringing songs to the table? Like, how, how did that process work? Um, I think... I probably mentioned it like, hey, are we open to doing originals? And everyone was like, yeah, let's do that. And um, so we just started doing that. And I'm trying to remember, at that time we had both Maddie and Miles um, in the band. For a short while there was an overlap. So that's uh, Matt Van Havel, who's a guitar player, was the original guitar player. Correct. And then Miles Harris, who's also a guitar player. Correct. And sings. And singer. Right. Um, and so he kind of... I'm trying to remember how the process went, but I know like Fuego Fuego, which I think was our first original song, I came up with the hook driving home from practice one day or something like that, and I just kind of sang it into my phone, and I really liked it, and I sent it to Miles, and he wrote some guitar stuff around that part, um, just the little hook that I got, and then I think we got together on a separate occasion, and we just kind of finished the rest out, and so he you know, what about this? And then I was like, cool. And then can you play that again? And I'll just write some stuff. And so I wrote lyrics and melody to it. It's kind of just like a little one-two punch, funky pop, horn, solely sweet thing. I don't know. It's a really cool song. So it's really a collaborative process. Like you guys are all bringing different things to the table and, yeah, and spark it, an idea for someone else. There's Yeah, and then like there's so many different, like there's a song or two that I wrote almost in full brought it to Miles, and he made it way better, you know, like putting more interesting chords in. He put the bridge of Release Me in and stuff like that. And he obviously has done a lot more to it than that, but arrangement and all that he's very skilled at. Um, yeah, there's just, there's so many different ways to write. Sure. And I like to dabble in them all. It's more, it's more fun that way, I think. Lyrically, when you're writing, do you feel like it's you processing your actual life? Like, are there autobiographical pieces in some of this stuff, or is it just sort of like? Um, I think it depends on the song, for sure. 
Um, sometimes it's touching on my own my own life experiences. Sometimes it's stemmed from that, and like I'll elaborate or just kind of creative license with facts of, from my own life or whatever, or um, something I observe of like a friend going through something or, you know, putting myself in somebody else's shoes and kind of trying to see from their perspective and what they would write. Let the day come. That one's totally autobiographical for me. Like, slow down. Just let stuff happen sometimes. You can't just always be uh, in control. Sometimes you just have to let it let it be what it's going to be and slow down and just kind of enjoy it and stop spinning out of control in your own little head. Is that a hard thing for you to do? Yes. <laughs> I get real spinny. What do you mean? You've said spinny a couple of times. Like, what does that mean? Like actually dizzy? No. Well, not literally. <laughs> just um, my brain goes really fast and it'll go... Um, like right now, now I feel slow, <laughs> but just like certain things when you like overanalyze something, they call it like analysis paralysis, where you're like thinking about all these moving parts that you have to figure out. And, you know, there's just a lot going on in your brain and you can't keep a linear thought to save your life. You go jumping. It's like a pinball brain. It's kind of how I imagine it. And like your brain is a little pinball and the obstacles around your life are the little flappers flap <laughs> just <laughs> making your brain bounce around in 12 different directions but yeah yeah that where did the name baby cakes come from kevin <laughs> what does it mean um what is what's the word he uses i don't remember he has a really mm, almost really eloquent way of saying it and i can't remember but i think it's uh you know a nice Term of endearment for a lady's bum. Or maybe a guy's bum. A nice bum. All maybe right. that's what it means. He says it a little differently than I do, but I was like, cool, as long as I'm not baby cakes. Like, as long as people don't call me that and we are all baby cakes, I'm fine with that. Do people ever try to call you baby cakes? Mm, I think maybe once, but not really. I shut that whole thing down with my vibe. No. <laughs> you guys play a ton of like really different gigs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all on the same weekend. Mm -hmm. But those are like drastically different environments going mm -hmm. from playing a corporate event to playing a bar to playing a festival. Yeah. Very different. Do you have to think about them differently? Like do you mm -hmm. approach them differently, write the set lists differently? I think – there's different types of freedom that go with each kind of gig. You know, like a cover gig can occasionally be really relaxed. Not always. Sometimes they're really not that way. Um, writing the set list is kind of similar to writing a song. Like you're in the audience. What do you want to hear? How do you want to hear it? Like how do you want the songs to be um, organized, you know? And so I generally try to start, start off like a little mellower to ease people in because you can't just – start off with a crazy banger unless you're the main act and you want to start with a crazy banger or you're at a festival where you get like a one one set you know that you gotta just do your absolute fire and so you write it differently depending on your audience and what they want to hear I remember changing the set list we played at I don't know if it's technically Burlington or Mount Vernon but down there at their golf place and it was 
a generally older crowd. And we had on the set list a song that I was like, ooh, mm-mm, they're going to want Son of a Preacher Man. And I remember, like, changing that out. And, of course, they loved it because it's not too loud. It's a nice song they know. It's got a good beat. It's, you know, it's got all the goods. So, you know, changing stuff as you go because sometimes the audience doesn't want what you think they want. And Do the shows where you play for a ton of people feel different? Like when you're playing Downtown Sounds or a – a festival where there's like a sea of people in front of you? I prefer that to a small crowd, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Why? Always have. Always have. Like <laughs> Most people would think that's like way more nerve-wracking. No, It's weird. I remember as a kid, um, we had a family friend, and he, I think he would like bribe me to sing because I hated singing in front of small groups of people because I can like see their faces. So that was nerve-wracking, and I think he, I remember him offering me 20 bucks one time to just, like, just sing us a song. And, like, I don't know, when you can't see everybody's faces all the time, it's easier? I don't know. Maybe that's that whole stage presence, little bit of shyness I have where I'm just like, I don't, I just want to show up and sing. I don't, it's hard to interact sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. I guess being too... Too confronted with people's reactions to what you're doing. That's an insecurity, I guess. I don't know. Mm. So I like I like the large crowds plus energy. Like when you feed off the crowd's energy, like a bigger crowd is easier to feed off of. And I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience, but when you have a crowd that is pulling from you, it is a pretty uncomfortable feeling. Like when they're pulling from you in a way of like they're kind of not into it or they don't seem into it and the room feels dead, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. So to play to a large crowd, you almost never have that scenario. Like somebody's going to dig it and that's going to spread. So it's nice that way. Do you think of it that way as like energy transfer? Like they're pulling from you or they're giving to you? In certain situations, not always. And most of the time it's an exchange. Like we're giving to you, you're giving to us. That's the, that's the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's good. That's that magic thing, you know, and most of the time it's that. Thank God. Can you tell me about recording the album? You guys, uh, you recorded with Michael Iris out at Bell Creek Studios. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Super awesome. Michael is, of course, super professional and awesome, but he has a really good, a really good demeanor in the studio. Like, he's just really good at making sure that you get what you need, and it's all about what's going to be the best for the end product. And he's got a great way of saying, well, well, how about, you know, if something's not working, he's, you know, well, what if we tried this? Or how about we come back to that? Or, you know, he's got a, a really a good gentle nudge in, in the right direction. And um, I think that's probably what a good engineer does, you know, is like understanding the big picture and supporting the artist and what it is that they're trying to accomplish and then helping them do that in a way that's going to be both efficient and beneficial for the end. And uh, his place is so beautiful. It's out in the mountains and the beautiful mossy trees and just a really beautiful, serene place to be. Like that to me is pretty ideal for recording, like just a nice, calm place to be. So yeah, super fun. Challenging days for sure. Uh, I had a really hard time with Worth the Pain, ironically. That song was really, really hard to get out for whatever reason. I just had a, one of those days where, like, 
first take, I was like, oh, this is going to be a really hard day. And I was really hard on myself and like him and Miles and Ebony were there and they were all very supportive and helpful and like, hey, no, that was a really good take. I don't know what you're hearing, but that was good. And so pretty awesome. Just a pretty good place to be. I really enjoyed it. What do you do when you're having a hard day like that in the studio and like things just aren't working out the way you want them to? Oh, man, it's hard to say. That day I was just off. Like some days you're just off. You know, I showed up and I couldn't get my voice to do what I wanted it to do. I didn't sound relaxed enough for my own, um, how I imagined it would sound, you know. And it turns out it sounds pretty awesome, I think. Like it turned out much better than I anticipated given how I felt that day. But, you know, like Michael at some point was like, hey, why don't we just go for a walk? Which is awesome because we're like out in the mountains and that's perfect for me. Like I need a break. And sometimes when I can do that, like pull myself away and then you step back in and you're just like, got it. You know, it, that helps. So that's pretty much what we did that day. So you guys cut this album. It sounds incredible. Thank you. Um, but it took a while to get out. Like there mm. was... <laughs> There's some stuff that happened in the band. Can yeah. you talk about like why it took you guys so long to release it? Yeah. Well, we finished recording in 2017, like fall, beginning of winter of 2017. We finished recording. After our New Year's gig, that, um, so like January 2nd, 2018, was a rough day. Um, we had our band practice, but we were going to have a meeting and kind of just talk about the year and where we wanted to go and all that. And to many of our surprise, and before I even get into it, there's nothing but love and respect for all of these people at this point. Like we had a really shitty situation happen and it didn't go down in a very nice way. But since there have been mended fences and um, I'm not holding any grudges against anybody, I don't think anybody in the band is. Yeah, so love and respect to everybody involved for sure. So I don't, I don't want anyone to hear anything I'm not saying. But um, Miles and Ebony that day, and I don't know that they even talked about it beforehand. Um, I can't remember. I think that's what Miles said, but they both came, came to the table with some pretty serious, um, issues, I guess. They just, they just had some, some issues with the band and they both quit. And, um, like I said, it wasn't done in a super awesome way and it was very painful to hear and it was really hard to work through and it sucked. Like it was a gut punch. Like we had just finished this album was not a super easy process to begin with. And then to have these two people that you thought were like in it with you, just kind of be like, yeah, nope, we're out. And like, now we have this album that we had a Kickstarter for, we had a bunch of supporters and like we had to deliver and like, how do you deliver something that you just like your band just exploded and you have this like, very real ghost of the band in the recording and like what do you it felt really bizarre like what do we do now that also happened to be the day that I found out I was pregnant so like driving home through tears stopping at Hagen and getting a pregnancy test because I knew I was probably pregnant and I get home and I take the test and I'm just like what a weird day you know like my band exploded but I'm also like pregnant for the first time and like happier than I could possibly imagine about that, but like so torn up about the band. And it was just a really, it was a really weird day. Um, and since then, you know, uh, well, actually it didn't get easier for quite a while. Like, uh, 
mid, so it was January 2nd, mid-January, I ended up getting really, really sick um, with pregnancy. Um, it's called hyperemesis gravidarum, and it's like the worst form of morning sickness. It's not morning sickness, but it's like that, but like times a million. Like I ended up losing like 12 pounds. Like I wasn't, I didn't eat for several weeks. I had an IV um, pump at my house with a port in my arm, getting fluids and nutrition daily for like two months, two and a half months. And I pretty much couldn't leave my house <laughs> except to go to the infusion place to get my little um, IV replaced. And, uh, it was very scary. And thank God for modern medicine, I guess. I'm not always the biggest fan of our medical situation in this country, but like there are certain situations that it is life-saving 100%. And I don't know that I, and definitely not my baby, would be here without it. So that was really hard. And so we had had um, Carrie and Steve um, from Mr. Feelgood and the Firm Believers step in so nicely and they're just two very delightful people and very talented musicians themselves and they stepped in and then I got sick and so they really had to step up because um, Carrie was essentially going to be backup and Steve was going to be guitar obviously and so they were stepping in to cover for Miles and Ebony leaving the band correct and, and then you get super sick yep we had like one practice and then I got super sick maybe two super sick and like so it was like Carrie mm -hmm. Carrie Bieber uh, sings back up in Mr. Vilgan, The Firm Believers. Mm -hmm. So she was stepping into Ebony's uh, part to sing back up, but then you get sick, so she's all of a sudden the lead singer in the band. Right. And her uh, partner in music and in life, Steve, mm -hmm. uh, is stepping into guitar. So, mm -hmm. wow. So the band is going through... A, yeah, painful. A really hard time. 22 was super rough. Um, so, and I didn't know, like, hyperemesis is a, is a thing, like, they don't know how long it's going to last. For some women, it is their entire pregnancy. And for some women, it's a couple of days. Um, for me, it was a couple of months. And I wasn't working. I couldn't do anything. Like, I was pretty much on my couch for a couple months. Wow. Yeah, it was horrible. I don't sit still very easily either, so that really sucked. Um, for many, many reasons. And then trying to process the whole thing that happened with Miles and Ebony. And it was just very confusing and... Uh, I felt really crushed, like, from several different angles. <laughs> like, I'm pregnant, yay, my band exploded, shit. I'm super sick, I'm on the couch, baby seems okay, but this is, I, there was just so many different things going on, lots of highs, lots of lows, very weird. Um, but the band kept going, kept it together, they, you know, pushed on through some really, really difficult stuff, um, so thankful to everybody involved in that for doing that. And at some point, Miles contacted Kev and me and wanted to get together to chat and um, kind of just, he had he had been going through a lot when he left. Like he had a lot of, he's got some personal health stuff going on too that he was dealing with. Um, and so he had his reasons for doing what he did. And he came back saying like, hey, you know, like I, I'm, I'm not real happy about the way that I, I dealt with that, but he wanted to, he wanted to push through and like move beyond. And, um, I think that for any person to do what he did is so brave and really difficult. And, 
Um, so he ended up coming back to the band. You know, like we worked through the stuff that wasn't wasn't working. We talked about a lot of things. Um, we set up, you know, I think some boundaries. And I think both Miles and I, like we have a lot in common in that health situation. Like we have to put that first because if we're not healthy, we can't do anything. And we're not going to be any use to anybody else or ourselves if we're not feeling good. So, um, and learning that is a hard lesson on your own, let alone when it affects other people in a band like, or in a situation like a band where it's like, you're, that really matters a lot. Yeah. So he came back and we kind of got back going on things, but I was pregnant still. So it was kind of a weird, it was kind of weird to rebuild while I'm building a human, you know, like it was a really bizarre summer, but good. Um, and so, yeah, we just kept on pushing through and played Meltdown and just had a hell of a time. That was so fun. And I think I was, what, eight months pregnant? It was incredible to see you on stage. Ah, thanks. Super pregnant and, like, <laughs> still giving it your all. It was it was really cool. Ah, yeah, it was super fun. Cool experience. Like, I can't wait to show him when he's older. Be like, hey, you were in there. <laughs> but So yeah. this was your first performance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was really cool. And it's really, really fun to have people enjoy and tell you and show you with their dancing and their applause and their smiles and all that, how much they really liked something that you put so much work into. Like, what a cool feeling. So loved that. Does it feel that much, uh, like that much bigger of an accomplishment having gone through all of the stuff that you went through? in the recording and post-recording process and having to sort of build the band back together? It's yeah. not just having written songs together yeah, no. anymore. You know? Well, I think something that became very apparent too, and it's not, I don't say this to say anything negative about anybody else that was ever in the band or anything like that, but there is something really special about the dynamic that happens with Miles in the group. Miles and I have a really great writing partnership and we love to sing together. Like there's something about like when we'll sing together, we just kind of know where the other person's going to go. Like even when we're improvising on something and we'll be able to kind of adapt as we go. And like, it's just fun. Like there's just something a little extra that goes on with him on the stage with us. And so there's, you know, and I'm sure everybody has had this at some point. Like if you're in a band, like sometimes there's just a little a spark that happens and it may not necessarily be that person, but it's the combination of people that you have that if that person, any one of those people were missing, it, the dynamic would change dramatically. And like, it was very clear without miles, like there was a big chunk missing. Like he's so much energy on stage and he's so much um, energy through his playing and the way that he sings and all of that. And it was just so cool to have him back and like, be like, ah, right. Like, now we can't really take it for granted because we know how special the group that we had is. Like, super special. Love those people. You know? It's cool. It's a cool cool place to be, I think. Do you guys have stuff coming up? Like, do you have uh, summer plans for the band? or? Yes. What are they? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I'm terrible at remembering. You don't have to give me, like, the calendar. Yeah, rundown, no, I don't but... even know. I, we are playing Meltdown again. Super excited about that. Um and we have been working on new music. Super excited about that as well. So we have um, a couple new songs for sure. We'll have more by then, of course. But 
So yeah, we're just kind of working on that. We have a bunch of plans kind of in our heads, but it's, I have a very busy seven month old baby boy. And so my time is pretty consumed and I, there's all this stuff that we want to do. And it's just hard as with any band to like move quickly in any direction when you're a band the size we are, but we have, you know, like we want to do some stuff with YouTube and, um, I think we want to record some more and maybe release, um, like as not necessarily singles, but like really single songs as we go, or maybe do like a little EP or I don't know. We're, we've got some stuff up our sleeve for sure. We're thinking about doing, but it's just, it's a fun process no matter what. And I'm excited about it. Cool. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that does it for this episode of Little City Big Sound. Thanks again to Stephanie for making the time for our interview. If you like what we're putting out, please support the show by going to our website, littlecitybigsound.com, and signing up to be a monthly contributor. That's right, I'm talking to you. Just $5 a month would be a huge help to make this project sustainable. Just five bucks. Think about it. Think about how nice it will feel to know that next episode, when I'm asking for money, you can say, he's not talking to me. I already donated. This episode's interview was recorded at Binary Studios. Thanks, Bob. Our ad music is courtesy of Mystery Chi. Thanks, Joel. Additional research for this episode by Aaron Crosby. Thank you, Aaron. Our interviews are engineered and mixed by Andy Rick. Our theme music was written and performed by Andy Rick, and our logo was designed by Andy Rick. Thanks for everything, Andy. Little City Big Sound is a proud member of the BellPod Network, a collective of independent podcasts made right here in the city of subdued excitement. Next month, our guest will be musician, educator, art monk, and interspiritual minister, Meg Yates. We'll leave you with a track from Baby Cake's self-titled album. Featuring Stephanie Walbon on vocals, here's Worth the Pain.
your words. 